Uh, Would you stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word? I'm going to read today's psalm. Psalm 36. The Bible says that sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Everything they say is crooked and deceitful. They refuse to act wisely or do good. They lie awake at night, hatching sinful plots. Their actions are never good. They make no attempt to turn from evil. But let's talk about some good things now, those who are followers of Christ. The Bible says, Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love, O God, and all humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink uh, from your river of delights. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Give justice to those with honest hearts. And don't let the proud trample me or the wicked push me around. Look, those who do evil have fallen, and they are thrown down never to rise again. And let me repeat the words to those who are righteous. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Or other translations say it stretches to the sky. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the ocean depths. That's deep. Twin Lakes is like what? Six foot, eight foot at times. The ocean depths, mile deep, miles deep. You care for people. God cares for you today and you're here and we're so thankful you're here. And the Bible says that God pours out his unfailing love to those who love him and his justice to those who have honest hearts. Will you join me in prayer as we begin worship this morning? Father God, we thank you that you care for us, that you love people, that your love is unfailing, and that your love, the heights of your love, stretch to the sky but go down even to the depths of the ocean floor. We cannot even comprehend that, Lord. But we get a picture of that unfailing love because you sent your son to die on a cross for us, to set us free from sin and to give us a life and purpose right now and to give us everlasting life and the life to come. Thank you for this gift that you've given. Help us to respond to that gift. Help us today to respond with a heart and an attitude of worship. Father, this morning we pray for this worship service that you would come and speak to us. You'd bless this time as we dig into your word and we lift up the name of Christ. We pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people. Settle into this place and move in a powerful way. God, we pray for LifeGate as they're wrapping up their service. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless the word as it goes forward and that it would land on good soil. I pray for responses to the gospel. I pray for response to your word. And we ask for that same thing here, Lord, and we lift this all to you to the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. 
If you will, this morning, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. We continue in our series of the seven churches listed in Revelation, the Letters to the Churches series. Today I'm going to speak on the city of Thyatira. And this would be modern day Akhisar. This place exists today. And I'm going to be walking through a little bit of understanding what was happening in this particular city, what was happening in this church, as that kind of helps, sets us up for the message. And while we're setting things up, I'm just going to call this Jezebel, and I'm going to drop that in there, and we'll just see what happens while I'm preaching today. Okay? So while we kind of set the stage for Thyatira... Um, understanding that these letters that were given to the churches in these cities, Thyatira was the smallest city of these seven, smallest city, and the church was about 40 years old. Faith community is about 30, so imagine another decade on top of where we're at, and that's about the age of this particular church. This city had a long history of being destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed, Rebuilt, destroyed, rebuilt. It's kind of a pattern here. And part of that was because it was a gateway city on its way up into Pergamum. Now, Pastor Niles preached on that city last week, but there's a map here on the screen that give you an idea of some of the churches that we've spoken about. Two weeks ago, I talked about Smyrna. Last week, Pastor Niles talked about the church in Pergamum. And this week, I'm talking about the church in Thyatira. There's a little geography of where these would be laid out. And in Thyatira, if you were coming in to take over the city of Pergamum, you'd go through Thyatira first. And so it was kind of a gateway road. And so because of that, they often received the brunt of some of these battles. And so in the midst of that, when Rome got involved, they started protecting Thyatira with a band of troops or a garrison. They would set up shop in Thyatira. And some people saw this Roman protection as an outpost so that it would actually protect the much nicer city of Pergamum. So you can imagine kind of the feeling of, well, we're actually favoring this city more than we are that one. So we're going to put a troop there so that if an attack comes, it gives this really nice city some time to react and we can maybe add a, like a hedge of protection around a city that we really like in Pergamum. So maybe a little bit of a marginalized city because of the way they were located and the things that weren't necessarily going for them. But when they finally got under complete Roman rule, they began to enjoy peace. And that once that gateway that caused them issues, now it became an asset for them with a lot of the trade and the things that were happening in this particular city. This city would be known as a working man's town, blue-collar kind of people. They were hard workers. They knew how to work. Okay, You just get a picture of the kind of people these people were. And they were known for the, the trade and the, the, the industry that they were a part of was, was metals and fabrics and pottery. And so as they were doing business with each other, they would have these trade unions or these trade guilds, or societies, and you needed to be a member of these things in order to do a lot of business in this city. Now, I'm setting the stage here so we understand maybe what's going on in this particular church and in this particular passage. To hold a job or run a business in Thyatira, it was necessary to be a part of these unions or these guilds. And these guilds would require members to participate 
and sinful practices in order to keep their membership. Okay, are you running with me on that? Imagine if that's the society you lived in. In order to do business, you've got to do things that are sinful or contrary to what God's wanting you to do. And if you didn't participate, it would be very, very difficult for you as a family to make a living. So lots of pressure on those who want to be followers of Christ that are in this particular city. And before we even get rolling, there's a really good lesson for all of us before we even dig into the Word and understanding what kind of pressure the followers of Christ and Thyatira were going through, is there's a good lesson in this for all of us to conduct our personal and our business affairs according to what God would want and not what the world would want. Don't ever sell out spiritually because of worldly pressures. This world needs more people who stand for what's right, who have integrity, who run their affairs with biblical standards because you're a witness and you're a testimony to this world. And so I just kind of lay the groundwork with that. Some of you maybe have to be involved with certain associations or certain, uh, you know, guilds, if you will, societies in order to conduct your business. Don't ever compromise your beliefs when you're in those. Those are opportunities to share Christ and be a witness and a testimony. This letter is addressed basically in three parts. You're going to see Jesus address those who are unfaithful. You're going to see Jesus address those who are faithful. And then ultimately, for those who remain faithful, you become what's called an overcomer. So Jesus is going to address those three kinds of people when we read this letter. All right, are you ready to dig in? All right, before we do that, let's pray and just ask God to really speak to us today as we get into the Word. Father, thank you so much for this time that we are going to spend in your Word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that your Spirit would inspire and illuminate the Word for us right now, right here. And I pray that our hearts, that our attitudes would be ready to receive so I pray that if there's any distractions, anything that are on our mind right now, help us to clear that and focus right now on you and the word. I pray that you'd silence this room of any of those things. And Lord, we would just focus in on what it is you want us to see. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write this down. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts 
and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not oppose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. And that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. And whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This church in Thyatira had a lot of things going for them that are mentioned right out the gate. They had a strong love, which was evidenced in the things that they were doing. Jesus commended their deeds, their love, their faith, their service, their perseverance. All of those things were growing because Jesus says you're doing more of these things than you did at the beginning. But yet in the midst of that, this is a church that Jesus points out is lacking some serious discernment. And they're beginning to tolerate false teaching. So Thyatira had a lot going for them, but they were struggling big time with holiness and purity. And so I said earlier, Jesus addresses the unfaithful, the faithful, and the overcomers. Let's look at how he addresses the unfaithful. In verse 20, you'll note that Jesus calls out a woman named Jezebel. That's a pretty serious term there. This could be an actual woman who was leading people astray in this church, but more likely this would be the, a reference to the spirit of Jezebel, a demonic spirit that would have influenced Queen Jezebel, King Ahab's wife. She would have been known for sexual immorality and things sacrificed to idols. Those were practices that she would have done. And so as Jesus is calling this out, he's like liking that back a thousand years ago when King Jezebel was around, or Queen Jezebel was around. Her name would be synonymous with false worship, sensuality, and manipulative control. I want to list for you some characteristics of a Jezebel spirit because this still exists today. A Jezebel spirit controls or dominates people. A person with this kind of influence has an unnatural sense of self-importance. They require excessive admiration and attention. They're arrogant and they're haughty, kind of have that attitude of I'm better than others. They lack in self-control. They're unconcerned with how their actions affect other people. They use people. They manipulate people. They speak lies. They falsely mimic empathy in order to seduce or control. They're jealous and they're envious, and they even think that people are jealous and envious of them. They get defensive or combative whenever they're confronted, and they really believe they're on a different level than most other people. Now, Queen Jezebel's been dead for nearly a thousand years at the time that this letter was written, but this same spirit of influence in her life was very much alive in this church. Most people operating under the influence of this spirit would appear innocent and loving and giving in a public setting, 
But behind closed doors, they're very controlling, they're manipulative, and they're deceptive in their families, in their marriages, in their workplace, or their ministry, and also in their church. Is there anything that rises up in you when I talk about this? Just kind of makes you mad, doesn't it? The Jezebel that's described here in Revelation was teaching that Christians could be faithful to God even if they commit sins along with her. Now, I'm going to break this down a little bit, but there was a teaching that was often being done back in this particular time frame that would be called Gnosticism or also known as dualism. Gnosticism would be this special spiritual knowledge. I know these things, and so because I've been enlightened, I can go out now and do whatever I want. And the dualism is like, we're going to separate some things out here. There's my spiritual life here, and then over here is my physical life, okay? And so if I come to know Jesus and I have this knowledge of who he is and what he's done for me, now I, I have the freedom because they don't affect each other. I can go out and I can do whatever I want and it won't affect me spiritually. This was a teaching that was being brought forward. And this Jezebel spirit was sort of leading people into this. Look, it's okay for you to do business and be a part of these trade unions that are causing you to sin because it doesn't affect your spiritual life. You imagine that, oh, well, that makes me feel good. That takes the pressure off of things. I, I think we'll take that bait and run with it. And she was causing people to trip over this. The false teaching was happening. And it might seem bizarre. I mean, if I sat up here and I said, uh, you know, guys, if you're saved, you can go out and do whatever you want. That wouldn't sit well, would it? We know there's accountability to whatever's going on in here affects my actions. The fruit of the Spirit that's in me, you're going to see evidence of that. But if I'm over here saying I'm a believer, but you're not seeing anything over here, it kind of makes you go, wait a second. Is this real in that person's life? And so while it might seem bizarre to have a teaching where it says, over here you can do this and over here you can do something completely different, I'm here to tell you that we can do this very thing today. You show up to church, you put an act on, everything's going good, things are together in my family, things are going well for me spiritually, I'm raising my hands during worship, I'm how are you doing during the past the peace time, I put the smile on and we get in the car and all of a sudden it's like we act like a totally different person. We go out and we do whatever we want. We have this license to sin, if you will. But when Sunday comes around, you know what? We're going to get things back together again. We're going to really try to be a better person. And then you go right back out just doing whatever it is you want. You are acting out on Gnosticism or dualism, whether you know it or not. So while this might seem bizarre to you to have somebody teaching that, this is being applied today in the church. We can live in a dualism kind of mentality. I'll live a little this way in front of people that I know might hold me accountable to Scripture, but as soon as I'm out of sight, I'm going to go do something that I want to do. Jesus points out to Thyatira their issue of tolerating Jezebel's ways. 
this church begins to compromise. You know, we'll just let this slide. We realize there's pressure in the world to be able to make some income for your family and all the things that are happening here. So let's just kind of let that slide. Let's let it be, you know, but what was happening here is this begins to spiral. And the reality of this is, is you and I can tolerate sin too. And we can tolerate sin for several reasons. Maybe one is you have a fear of confronting somebody. That's a very real thing. I'm, I'm scared to call this out. I don't want to confront. I don't know how that's going to go down. I, I don't like that kind of tension. Another, another part of tolerating sin is maybe there's a real personal relationship with somebody and you're, you're fearful of how that might affect that relationship. If I call them out for what I'm seeing... I'm fearful that maybe this relationship dynamic will change. And so out of that fear, you don't do anything. You let it slide. Or maybe there's spiritual apathy. You just don't care. You know, no big deal. They'll figure it out. Right? I don't need to get involved. Another one here is maybe you're not confronting a situation because actually you're excusing your own questionable behavior. Like if I was to go tell Craig, Craig, this is something I'm seeing right now, and in my spirit I have a check about that. I know I'm not perfect, but you know we can handle it like that. But if I refrain from Craig because I know that he knows something that I'm struggling with, so I'm not going to go to Craig because I know he's going to keep me accountable too, and I don't want that accountability. Right? It's our sin nature. We have a natural tendency to avoid that kind of stuff. Makes me squirm a little bit. Okay, you mind your own business, I'll mind my own, right? And we'll go on just floating through life like nothing's wrong. But sin needs to be confronted. This is an important message for the church today because false doctrine and sin and the spirit of Jezebel, they are not to be allowed ever. Even under the banner of love and toleration and being unity, unified, having unity. There may be commendable things that are happening inside of a church, but I want to tell you right now, maybe there's effective ministry, maybe it seems like they're growing, maybe they've got a great staff, strong leadership, but if, if there's immorality and there's false doctrine, and if it's not confronted, it's going to eventually bring issues out. We have to address them. What can be a pure thing if this spirit hangs around and we don't address it? It starts to get real foggy. And the purity of the church becomes tainted. Not just the church collectively, but you become tainted if you play around with this. D.A. Carson said that people don't drift toward holiness, they drift toward compromise, and then they call it tolerance. And they drift toward disobedience, and they call it freedom. You and I have a tendency to drift towards the easy route. And the easy route is just, let's not deal with this, let's just kind of wait it out, or let's not confront it, I don't know what they're going to say, or, you know... We need to confront sin when you're staring it dead in the face and not ignore it or compromise with it. Jesus tells Jezebel her fate in verse 22. 
I'll cast her on a bed of suffering. When I read that, I think these words, you'll sleep in the bed that you make. You ever heard that expression before? Essentially what that means is one day you're going to reap the consequences of your actions. If you know how Queen Jezebel died, and if you want to look at this later, it's in 2 Kings chapter 9. But here is this ungodly, wicked woman, and it's her moment, her time to panic, and a couple of guys push her out of a tower, and she lands on the ground with such force that blood splatters against the wall, splatters against the horses that were nearby. She's dead. If you think that's bad enough, the horses that were nearby start to trample on her. As if that's not enough of a dishonorable way to go out, they leave for a little bit and they come back to actually bury her because she's a queen, right? She has a reputation, let's give her some honor. They come back and all that's left of her is her head, her hands, and her feet because dogs came and took the rest. And we look at that and you say, well, she kind of got what was coming to her being such a wicked person, right? I mean, sowing this kind of dishonor, she's now reaping that kind of dishonor. But I want you to think about something that's even bigger than that because we can look at that and say, what a way to go. But for 3,000 years, guys, she's been suffering in hell. We think about that. So when Jesus says that I will cast her on a bed of suffering, it's not just a dishonoring way in life of going about things, but what's ahead for that person if they don't if they don't fix this, if they don't take care of this issue, it's not good. We need to address this. And he says, those who commit adultery with her, they'll also suffer intensely. So those people that kind of jump along for the ride, do you know where that car is going? And it says, these people, they're like her children. And Jesus says, I'll strike those children dead. And those who jump in bed with Jezebel will reap the consequences of that. Those who join in on sinful behavior are acting like Jezebel's children. Spiritual death happens one compromise at a time. And I think there's a slippery slope with compromise. And you'll see how this kind of flows here, okay? First is we compromise with sin. And we'll let it slide I see this going on. We'll just hopefully things take care of themselves. And, but there's a little bit of like, well, we'll just we'll, we'll let this slide. We'll, we'll compromise with this. What happens next is if you continue to compromise is you, you become callous to it. It's like now you stop picking up on this stuff. What, what you were once sensitive to and saying something's not right with that, since you've been compromising with this, now you don't even smell it when it comes around. Does that make sense? And the other thing is, is how many of you have ever gotten calluses on your hands before? Right? And so when you get calluses, it's, you can notice it right away, right? Like something's not right here. Here's the next scary step in this whole slope. When you develop those calluses spiritually in your senses, the next thing is, is you get comfortable with it. So you've compromised, you've become callous to it. Now you're comfortable to it. It feels okay to have this going on. 
And after you start feeling comfortable with it, the next thing you start to do is join in. You start to commit these things. What once was something that you found offensive and offensive to God, you've slowly drifted to this point where you start jumping on board and getting involved in it too. And here's what happens, and this goes back to the dualism or that Gnosticism where we do this here and we do this there. When we start committing these things over here, then we start to compartmentalize the issue. We'll, we'll do this, and then we'll come over here and act like we actually didn't do that. And then we'll come back to it, and we just bounce back and forth, and we try to hide our sin, and we think that in the midst of this, while you're compartmentalizing things, it's like if I go over here to this little area, God doesn't see what's happening, and I want to point out verse 23 to you. It says, I am the one who searches out the thoughts and the intentions of every person. He's the one who searches the minds and the hearts. The enemy tries to tell you you can hide these things, but I'm telling you right now, you can hide nothing from God. He sees it all. I hope that if you're somebody that's on that slippery slope and you've been compartmentalizing, that's such a big word, I shouldn't have chose that, right? I hope you move from that end of the spectrum right back to the beginning and say, I'm no longer going to be compromising with that. People's deeds reveal their spiritual condition. The Bible tells us that you and I, we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which have been prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. God has set it up that you would have a relationship with him, and then when you enter into that relationship with him, now go out and shake things up for the kingdom. Live for him. That's what God wants you to do. And where we can kind of start to separate things is when people claim to have that saving faith in their life, but there's no fruit. I believe in Jesus, I want to live for him, but yet there's no fruit flowing out of my life. Do you really want to live for him? Stop compartmentalizing and just say, I'm done with that and I'm going to pursue him. One sin that I don't think we really call out very much is this, this sin of, of like being complacent about our faith. We, it's like we just kind of play around with it. Like it's a feel-good thing, but when the rubber hits the road, it just demands a lot. That wasn't in my notes hope that landed well. Jesus addresses the faithful. He says to the rest of you, he goes, hold on to what you have. So the rest of you tells me there's people who can remain true to God's word and God's standard. And God knows who you are. In verse 25, he says, hold on to what you have. He says, in other words, hang on or strive for things that matter. Here's things that matter. If I just sum this up real quick. God, God's word, and people. Those three things matter in the end. So hold on to that. Be faithful with those things. Don't get caught up in the world. Get caught up in the word. And I hope that there's people that are listening that that is you. 
you could be considered faithful. People who are holding on to what matters. Not compromising, which leads to that whole list of things that causes us to even start stumbling into sin. Lastly, Jesus addresses the overcomers. In verse 26, it says, To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give you the nations, you're going to be a part of a kingdom, and I'm going to give you the morning star. Now, I'll break some of that down in a second, but I want to come back to 26 where it says, To the one who is victorious. How many of you want to be victorious in your faith journey? Okay, 12 of you, awesome. Well, then this wasn't addressed to you, okay? Just pray about that for a second. How many of you want to be victorious in your faith journey? Let me give you the response for that. That verse in 26, it just simply says, then you must live according to God's desires. And listen to this, to the very end. The race is not over when you give your life to Christ. You have to keep pressing into Him. Doing what He wants all the way to the finish line. All the way till when you take your last breath. In case you don't understand what a finish line looks like in this whole picture. He's not done with you if you're sucking air right now all the way to the end the reward for those who are overcomers Jesus says I'll give you the nations and that's a picture of the coming kingdom and I want to be very clear right now if the kingdom of God is right here in you because you're a follower of Christ someday you'll get to be a part of the kingdom that he's going to come and set up on this earth. You'll get to be a part of that kingdom. And he's going to rule with this iron scepter. I just read about this. And you get to jump in with him and help in the ruling. He's going to give you jobs. He's going to give you tasks. He's going to give you things to do in this kingdom. I will give you the nations, and then he says, and I'll give you the morning star. And Jesus is trying to say, I'm with the morning star, I'm going to give you more of myself. And you're going to experience me in ways that are limited because you live in the presence of sin, and that the kingdom has not been yet set up like it will be in the future. But you're going to experience me in ways that you can't even comprehend right now. I'm going to give you the nations, and I'm going to give you the morning star. To those who stay faithful, we will get to rule with Christ in heaven. Isn't that cool? Stay faithful to the end. To the end. So this letter was addressed to three areas and aspects of the faith journey, and I'm going to ask simply this question today. What do you want to be? Do you want to be in that unfaithful category? Do you want to be in the faithful category? And take it a step further, do you want to be the overcomer? 
And as you evaluate that, you see this throughout all these letters. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Tune your spiritual ear into the Holy Spirit and say, God, what do you want me to do in response to this message today? Perhaps there's a sin issue that you're carrying right now and you need to address that. A number of years ago, I shared a story from this pulpit about a couple that owned a snake. How many of you remember that story by chance? A few of you? And this couple, they loved this snake in like a weird way, Brian, like let's cuddle and a snake. Yeah, weird. And they'd sleep with it. Yeah, we've taken this to a whole nother level, man. They love this thing. And their precious snake, it was like it was acting weird. It wasn't moving like it normally does. And they said at night, it would stretch itself out on their bed. And it was just like it was sick. And they were so just beside themselves. This is their, like, baby. They love this thing. So they took it into a vet. And that vet said, oh, my goodness, I am so glad you brought this thing in. Your snake is not sick. He's stretching himself out and measuring you because he's going to eat you. Whoa. Yeah. Thing is, when we like our sin, we kind of tuck it under our arm and it's like that pet we carry around and we love this sin, but I want you to know that sin will destroy you. Quit playing around. Get serious. Address it. This week, you know, last week when we talked about Pergamum, they're known as the compromising church, but I see a lot of compromise in Thyatira as well. The title of this church is the corrupt church you see that in the heading in your Bible, it's interesting that of all the weeks to talk about the corrupt church and how many years you've worked here, Donna, have you never been able to open the bulletin to print it for everybody? She couldn't open the file and it said, this file is corrupt. <laughs> We've never gotten a message like that before, but the week we talk about the corrupt church, so does the file. And she's like, well, I'll send it to you. Let's see if we can print it from your computer. I get it. I open it up. This file is corrupt. Now they've already put the bulletin together. They printed one copy. They put it online. Now they're going to make copies for everybody. And so what they had to do, Donna had to go back in and retype out the entire bulletin in order for you to have what you're holding today. And we thought, how annoying is that? But how fitting, interestingly enough, on the week that that happened. We've never had that happen before. And the file says, this is corrupt. You can't open it. And I sit back and I look at that and I think, what, how annoying that was and how we couldn't get our job done. But it just like became inefficient. We had to rehash this whole thing out again. And the same thing can happen in the church and in our personal lives when there's corruption. And you're not going to move forward until you fix this. And so whatever file, if you will, is going on in here that you need to pull out and say, God, let's address this. Let's make this new so that I can be useful for the kingdom and not hanging on to this corruption anymore. 
we need to address sin. We need to address whatever it is that the Holy Spirit might be putting on your heart and your spirit right now. This week from Psalm 32, you would have read this passage. And David says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. See, the beauty of the God that I know, that I spoke about his unfailing love, is he says that when you come to me and you repent, guess what? You see this snow outside? I'm going to wash that issue, and you're going to be white as snow. Gone. I'm going to forgive you of that. But you've got to come to me and ask for this forgiveness. Don't just wish it away. Come to God and ask for forgiveness. And what joy is there for people who do that? It says this joy for those whose record that the Lord has totally cleared of guilt and whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And listen to what the psalmist says when he did not confront the sin that was going on in his life. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. The weight of that sin pressed down on me so much, it's like I couldn't even move. It's like I was going backwards. I'm wasting away. I'm no longer effective for God because the weight of this sin is on me. I groaned all day long. You wake up, that sin is on your mind. You go to bed, that sin is on your mind. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me, and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, he takes care of the issue here in verse 5, and he says, I confessed all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I think it's funny, earlier I said, you can't hide that. You can't hide that to the Lord. And he said, I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all of that guilt was gone. So while I preach a message today that's very serious on sin, I hope you hear the very serious final note that God will forgive that and he'll take care of that issue with you. And so one of the things we're going to do this morning, normally have worship, then the message. It's message, then worship, because and we left the altar rails up from communion last week, and I just felt like we just need to respond to this and just have some time at the altar. And a little bit, I'm going to ask the prayer team to be on either side, and if you've got something that you'd like prayer for to be prayed over with, please come and do that. But I want to tell you right now, if you feel the need to come and just do business with God, the altar will be open. And I'm going to eliminate any fear. What will people think if I come forward? I hope that we acknowledge and we're thankful that God's doing something in those people's lives and not go, I wonder what God's doing in their life. Just let God handle that. But feel free to come forward to this altar when we worship in a moment and allow God to just do business and take care of these things that he can take care of. And lastly, I did this a couple weeks ago. I asked that if there's anybody that wants to receive Christ in their life, and say, today, I want to be a follower of Christ. Sometimes we go through some things to lift your hand while we're praying. But there's more and more. I, I feel like, especially as we go through these churches, there's a serious nature. You're either in or you're out. There's no, like, 
you know, let's play around with this. I wonder what's going on in people's hearts. We need to be bold about this. And so I just felt led to say this at the end of the message today is that if there's anybody that wants to respond in receiving Christ in your life, maybe it's for the first time or maybe you've drifted and you feel like you need to get back, then I want you to stand right now. And I'm not going to ask people to close their eyes so they can't see you. I'm going to ask people to cheer for you as you make this stand. And if you can't stand in a room filled with people who love God, good luck standing out there. Anybody right now feels led to stand, you're welcome to do so. And we'll cheer you on while you do it. You're in. Anybody else? There you go, Ron. Awesome. It takes courage to do that. And there might be somebody right now, you just didn't feel like, ah, that's, that's pretty bold. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you got to go all in. And simply standing at the end of my message is not what's going to save you. But at some point, you've got to jump all in. And so if you want to do that here at the altar, if you want to do that with our prayer team, just ask them to pray with you. Okay? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father God, I thank you for your word, for your Holy Spirit, and how you've been moving during this worship service. Thank you for those who stood, Lord, as they've made this commitment to say, Lord, I want to follow you, I want to rededicate, I want to go all in, Lord, help them by the power of your Holy Spirit to do so. And Lord, if there's people that were hanging on, they wanted to stand, and there's just something in them that it was just... They're not quite ready. I pray, Lord, you'd keep speaking. Holy Spirit, keep drawing them in. They want to stand, and Lord, I ask that you'd help them to stand. To stand for you and to live for you. And Lord, as we worship now, we pray that your spirit would keep speaking to us. And as we pray together, as we spend time at the altar, we ask, Lord, that you would meet with us in powerful ways. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for what your spirit is doing in this place. Father, you're speaking into people's lives. You're bringing encouragement. You're dealing with sin issues. Father, you're bringing people closer to you so that we can become more and more effective for your kingdom. Not just so that we feel that guilt released, but that we can go proclaim the freedom of Jesus Christ to those who are held captive. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd equip us as a congregation to go out into our communities, our respective communities throughout all these different towns, Lord. We are so uniquely blended together, but I think there's so much power in how your gospel goes out from this place through your people. So, Lord, help us, equip us to speak up about who you are, and Lord, that there would be response to that. Your spirit would draw people in as we proclaim the good news. So Lord, bless us to be a blessing. Resource us to be a resource. Give us boldness and courage to confront sin for what it is. It's sin, it's destructive, it leads 
not into good things, but into destruction. So, Lord, help us to identify that, move forward, and help other people come to know Christ. Equip this church for this ministry. And we thank you now, and we, we ask your blessing over this continued altar time as we close the service. If people still come forward for prayer, if they still come to the altar, Lord, continue to meet with people. And we thank you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That does complete our service. If you'd like more prayer, you're welcome to come forward for prayer. And uh, would you lift your hands with me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for your congregation here today. We ask for your blessing over them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.